0: take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. And I want to do something before we get started today. And then the sermon day is going to be a little bit different. Um, And so let you know about that in just a second. But before we kind of begin, I just want to say thank you to you as a congregation. First of all, it's uh, it's my privilege. It's been my privilege now for over eight and a half years to be your pastor and to serve as your pastor and I I consider it a privilege. I love being your pastor. Um, In the first service, I said I love every minute of it for the last eight and a half years. And somebody kind of said, did you really? Maybe there were a few moments, all right? Um, But I do love being your pastor. I really do. I love being your pastor. I love the opportunity that I have to be your pastor. And so I I want to thank you for that opportunity. But I want to thank you for something more specific today. Because uh, if you've been around the church for the last few weeks, you know that next week is a major change coming to church. Okay, there's a major change happening in worship times next week. Um, and uh, just by the way, it also happens to be daylight savings time. Now, for our first service, they're pretty stoked because they get to come 30 minutes later on daylight savings time. But I don't know if you all have realized this yet or not, but I've basically robbed you of an hour and a half next week, right? Y'all, y'all know that. I see heads nodding that you are aware of that, right? Because time changes, we lose an hour, and we... Your Sunday school, if this is part of the service that you normally are and this is the service you're going to be at, your Sunday school starts now at nine o'clock instead of nine thirty. So, right? So, but that, that's all happening next week. And here's what I know, okay? I know, um, when we thought about this and we prayed about this and l- listen, we sought the Lord on this, um, it's something that we've been talking about as staff, ministerial staff, we've been talking about for two to three years. We talked seriously about it for the last, Uh, six or seven months, we prayed about it specifically for three or four months and came to the conclusion we knew when we felt this is what God is calling us to do. When we knew that moment had arrived and we knew when it was going to arrive, like we understand that that was going to, um, in the the words that my grandmother used to talk about all the time, it's going to upset the apple cart. Okay, We knew that, that change is not preferable for people. No amens there. Like, like people don't like change. They like routine and they like getting used to how life is. I, I thought about that this morning because um, a month ago I celebrated my 40th birthday. Big deal. Woo, it's exciting. Um, and for my 40th birthday, my wife got me something that I'd wanted and talked about, but didn't think you know hadn't really thought about actually getting one, which was an Apple Watch. Now, I'm I'm a tech guy. I like that kind of stuff. Some of you could care less about that, and that's fine. But here's the thing that I thought about this morning. I've been wearing that watch for a month, and uh, I, uh, prior to that, did not wear a watch for at least five years. I just didn't wear a watch. So I put that Apple watch on. Today, I walked out of the house, got to church, and realized that for the first time since I got it on my birthday, I did not put the watch on this morning. And you know how many times today i pulled this up and like, whoa, whoa, it's not there, right? Five years I didn't wear it. I've worn it for a month, and now it's a habit that I'm already fallen into. We're, we're talking about changing some structures here at First Baptist and Sunday school classes that have been kind of the norm for ten, fifteen, twenty years. And so I understand. We know that this is not an easy kind of transition for for some. For some of you It's like, "Woo! I'm excited. This is great." But for some, it's it's a difficult transition and. Here, here's what I want to tell you about that. We understand that. I appreciate the way that you have walked through that with us, the trust that you've placed in us. Um, we know that there are some people that, that have concerns, and we hope we've answered those. And I could give you a list of six or seven reasons why we think this is why God's called us to do it. I could give you that list, and I really do believe that. But here's the overall thing that I can tell you. All I know is I am very confident this is what God's called us to do. And I don't necessarily have to have all the answers for how and why to follow in that path. In fact, in Scripture, um, God rarely gives people all the answers of why before he asks them to obey. And so that's why we're walking through this, and I really do appreciate just the spirit in the church as we move forward. One of the reasons that I think that I believe God is leading us in this direction is because of what I think is on God's heart for our church. I want to talk to you today about something. Here's kind of going to be the, the, the plan, okay, today. We're in this series called Prayer and Worship, and over the last couple of weeks, we've kind of built a basis for what that is. Two weeks ago, I talked about what prayer is, and if you were here, you remember we talked about the fact that one of the most amazing things about prayer is that we often see it from our side, and we need to see it from God's side sometime, and that God loves to hear us pray, that He has invited us into His presence. And that he hears us when we do. And just those two remarkable statements change everything about the way we see prayer. And Jeff last week did a great job describing what worship is. What does it look like in Scripture? How do people worship in Scripture? And so the the way we intended this whole series all along is we were going to do that for two weeks. And then for the next two weeks, we're going to kind of put some of that into practice or show you how to put that into practice. Talk about how to put that into practice. And so today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a, a very short sermon and all that God's people said, amen, right? Uh, I didn't say we're getting out early. I just said my sermon's going to be shorter. And then we're actually going to pray. It's a novel concept, I know. But in that time, we're going to pray corporately prayers. And here's the reason. I believe God's leading us into, God desires for First Baptist Goodlettsville to lead us into a season of renewal and revival. I believe that. I believe that partially because I need it. Because I need it. I believe that partially because we need it. I believe that partially because I see the world needs it. Amen? And so I've been thinking about that, and part of the reason we thought about prayer and worship, and part of the reason even the first sermon of this year, when we talked about those things that I pray that we'll become, we'll we'll share the gospel more boldly, we'll pray more consistently, Like those things were on my heart as as I feel God leading us into this season of renewal and revival. And we said, well, what are you talking about? What does that look like? See, when I was growing up, when you asked me, what's a revival? I I would have told you real clearly, a revival is that thing we plan every year, and somebody comes and speaks to us every night. Right? Anybody grow up that way? You have revivals, right? I was uh uh looking the other day in the office area, my office in that outer office, for a print cartridge for my printer. You know, you talk about a racket, right? Those print cartridges just go. So I was looking for all that and I found a box of cassette tapes. Do y'all you remember what those things are? Like you remember cassette tapes. And I found these cassette tapes, and I found lots of interesting things in the cassette tapes. But in the cassette tapes that I found, I found two things that were particularly interesting to me. First of all, I found the first sermon I ever preached in the cassette tape. And it is bad, all right? I mean, like I was, I like listened to like two minutes of it. And I was like, oh, that's, we may need to destroy that somewhere. That's bad, all right? 1994, I was 18 years old. And my pastor who was at the Southern Baptist Convention asked me to preach on Father's Day. That doesn't seem right, does it? Here's your 18-year-old. Go preach. And so I, so I, I listened to Larry two or three minutes of that. But then inside of that same box of cassette tapes where apparently First Dyersburg had scheduled a revival and not only did we have revival at night, we did a week full of lunch meetings as well. And so we had, we we must have had a really good preacher. He was a good preacher. He's pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis now. But he grew up in the church, and he was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday noon, Monday night, Tuesday noon, Tuesday night. We did ten sermons like in four days. That's not what I'm talking about. See, the, the presumption there was that we were scheduling God's revival. And when you look in Scripture, revival is never scheduled. It can be prepared for. It can be planned as in I want to put myself in a position, but God ultimately sins. And so what are we talking about? What, when you say, all right, pastor, you say that you see a season of renewal and revival. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means an outpouring of God's spirit on his people in his church so that the presence of God is evident and felt here. I'm talking about sleepy Christians waking up. I'm talking about stagnant Christians getting moving. I'm talking about a new and deeper conviction of sin and repentance. Not just, hey, there's some big time sins I'm dealing with here, but the attitudes that are behind them, the, the heart that's behind them, that there's some deep stuff I've got to deal with on my sin nature. Now we become both bolder and humbler at the same time. We show more humility, but we show more boldness. That we deeply care for one another and that we deeply care for the things of God. That nominal Christians, those that are Christian in name only, people that have joined church roles but have never given their life to Jesus Christ, suddenly wake up and like, wait a minute, I walked down an aisle when I was eight years old, but I don't have a relationship with the Lord and it is time for me to get my life right. I'm talking about an indwelling of His Spirit in this place that you feel and know. That it's one of those things that you can't describe, but you know it when you see it. Long-time members talking about what God's doing in their lives. New Christians coming into the fold. In fact, not just the the Spirit of God dwelling in this place, in His church, on His people, but new people coming into the church and out to warning of Spirit where new people are saved, where new people come to the church. Maybe those that are saved in a different place are coming to the church and the church begins to grow. And that's part of the reason we're doing the Sunday school thing is to give room for that growth. Christians begin to experience God's beauty, power, and love. They put their relationship with the church, with Christ, with God first in their lives. They become attractive and radiant witnesses. The priorities of this life get reshuffled as we say, you know what, that's important, but it is not priority number one. And then the community around us and the broader culture at large is impacted by the glory of Jesus Christ in this place. Revivals produce waves of people that become involved in works of social concerns and social justice. Racial reconciliation is no longer a movement that's getting co-opted by people out there with opposite agendas. It is a passionate, gospel-driven narrative. Care for the poor is no longer a political issue to get thrown back and forth and people are lost in the balance. It becomes a gospel-driven, care-driven issue small but large marks of revival that come all over the place. And this week, as I've been praying about and thinking about what that looks like, I've been focusing on the issue of prayer. I came along this quote from a, a pastor in New York City by the name of Tim Keller, and it just stopped me in my tracks for a minute. It made me think about it and investigate. This is what Tim Keller says. We're going to leave this up for a little bit. If you got something you want, if you're writing some stuff down, this would be a great thing to write down in reference. Throughout the Old and the New Testaments and church history, every, all right, quick question. Anybody know what the word every means? Every, right? All, every spiritual awakening was founded on corporate, prevailing, intensive, kingdom-centered prayer. In the Old and New Testaments and in the history of the church. Now, I don't know if you, you get the grasp of that, but that, that that's all of it, right? Old Testament starts with what? In the? beginning, all right? So we got from the beginning through church history, which includes up until now, every move, spiritual awakening, revival, renewal was founded, was begun, had its foundation in corporate, prevailing, intensive, kingdom-centered praying. Now, we can't create the revival ourselves. We can't create something there out of our own, but we can prepare the altar. We can prepare ourselves. We can ask God to send his spirit to change our hearts and our churches and our communities. And here's the thing. For many of us, we think of prayer as kind of this um, means to get our personal needs met. And yet, as you grow in faith and as renewal begins to happen, you move to a place where you no longer see it as that. You see it as a place to get to know God, to adore God, to be in His presence, be changed by Him. And if you look throughout, you know, here's the thing I am. I'm a little bit of a, I'm a little bit of a skeptic. And so while I read a statement like this and the word every is used, sometimes I'm the guy that goes and tries to prove that wrong. Anybody else here like that? OK, if you got a spouse that when you say something to them and you accidentally say, you know, like every time we do that, well, not every, every time. Remember, there was that time in 1994 when we went here. That was not every anybody got a spouse like that. Right. Like argue or or all. OK, and so when I see that, I think all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to find that I'm going to prove it. But here's the thing. When you begin to look, it's true. In fact, if you look to the Old Testament, the people of God are continually falling out of favor with God. They get stagnant in their faith. They get to this place where they're not following the Lord. And then something happens and they turn back to God. They renew their covenant with him. He sends new leaders and everything takes off again and they're back in the good graces of God. And you can look, and a lot of times that's, that's accompanied with covenant renewal, a reading of the law. I mean, if you look at Joshua, they're going to go into the promised land, they renew their, their vows, they read the law again. If you look at Nehemiah 8, they come back from exile, they read the law, they renew their commitment, their covenant with the Lord. First Samuel chapter 12, they get a new king, they're about to install the king, they renew the law, they do all this. But as you watch that, there are certain characteristics that are similar but what you notice as you look at all the renewals in the Old Testament is how different they are. Sometimes it's a formalized thing. Sometimes it's very kind of um, organic. Sometimes it's a strong leader lead them. Sometimes it's a grassroots effort. But if you look at all of them, sometimes they renew the law, sometimes they don't. What you see in every single renewal are words like this. The people cried out to the Lord. In fact, in the book of um, Second Chronicles, when we're given our prescription for revival and renewal to come, uh, when he's talking to Solomon as they dedicated the temple, and God says, when I shut up the heavens, when I do not hear, and my people have walked away from me, if my people who are called by my name, y'all know that verse, right? Will do what? Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Now, here's what I want to tell you, all right? There are four characteristics there. They will humble themselves and pray and seek my face And turn from their wicked ways. Three of those have to do with prayer. You see that? You know what seeking my face is? It's basically saying prayer. Humbling ourselves means coming into a place of submission. And so it's submitting to me in prayer. Praying and praying. Every spiritual awakening was founded on corporate, prevailing, intensive kingdom and prayer. You go to the New Testament, and, and honestly, there aren't tons of like, revival stuff in the New Testament because it's time about the spread of the gospel, it's like one huge revival. In fact, the book of Acts is like one huge revival. You don't think it's a revival. The first day they preach, they have um, 3,000 men join. Now, now, I just want to ask you a question. If we had 3,000 men join the church this morning, what would we call it? We call it revival, all right? That's revival. Now, here's what happens. Sometimes we get caught up in what happened in the midst of all of that. I mean, there's that crazy scene If there's a wind that comes like a tornado in the midst of that. The tongues of fire come and land on them. They start talking in other languages. And that's all, that's amazing stuff. But what we miss when we focus on that to the detriment of this is that before all that happened, there were ten days spent holed up in a room praying. Corporate, prevailing, intensive kingdom-oriented prayer. Every spiritual awakening was founded on corporate, prevailing, kingdom-centered, intensive prayer. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And here's the thing I'm going to tell you. I, I know for some of you this can be awkward. And it could primarily be awkward for two groups of people here today. And the first one is, if you're a guest here today and you're like, oh, it's my first time here and we're all going to. First of all, let me assure you, I'm not we're not going to do in this time. We're going to focus on personal kind of prayer. We're not going to do the grab the hand of the five neighbors around you. Share your deepest, darkest secret. And let's all pray about it. All right. And all God's people said, thank you. Right. And so we're not going to do that. We're going to focus on personal prayer. If you're a guest here, here's what I want you to know. What I hope you see is that we are a church that doesn't, know, doesn't think we've got it all figured out, but we know the one who does. And we're going to go to him, and we're going to pray, and we're going to give honor to him, and we're going to spend some time just praying in this place. It's, it's gonna, it, I understand it can be awkward for you as a guest, and if it is, I apologize for that, but, but we want to be committed to doing what God calls us to do, and I firmly believe this is what God's called us to do today. Secondly, it could be awkward if you're here and you are one of those slumbering or nominal Christians. Because in just a moment, we're going to go into a time of speaking to our Lord. And for you, it's going to be like speaking to a stranger. It's not something that you've kind of normally done. And here's what I would tell you. First of all, if you're here and it begins to reveal in your heart that you don't have a relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've walked an aisle or you've been to church or your name's on a roll, but you don't have a relationship with the Lord. Perhaps this is God's first kind of Movement in your heart to move you towards Him to get that settled. And secondly, if you're a slumbering Christian that just hasn't been in the process of following the Lord or speaking to Him, God is not sitting there going, um, "You hadn't talked to me in three years, 12 days, 48 minutes. He's inviting you into His presence. He wants to hear from you. And he's listening. And so here's how we're going to pray today. And my goal is for us to begin a process of corporate, prevailing, intensive kingdom sit and praying. I want you in the book of Matthew chapter 6. We're going to just take apart Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 13. Now, here's the thing. If you are there. Or maybe even if you're not there, you'll recognize that that's called the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. And here's what we're going to do today because this is what Jesus told his people to do. When they came to him and said, we've seen how you pray, we want to pray, how do we pray? Jesus led them through this prayer. And so we're not just going to recite it because then we'd be done real quick. And most of you would be fine with that because you could recite it, but you wouldn't really pray so we're going to kind of break it down bit by bit. And I'm going to give you opportunity to pray. I'm going to kind of tell you something to pray about. I'm going to give you direction. And then we're going to pray. Now, accompanying that, I just want to tell you this. Jeff did a great job last week talking about all the different ways in Scripture people are told to worship, right? Y'all remember any of those, right? With instruments? Anything else y'all remember? Open your notes up. What? Shouting clapping, dancing, raising your hand. So in just a moment, we're going to have a prayer dance. No, we're not. Uh, all right, we're not going to do that. But here's what we are going to do, okay? Just as there are all kinds of ways in Scripture that it tells us to worship, clapping, shouting, Raising hands. There are all kinds of postures that Scripture gives us for how we ought to pray. And so we're going to incorporate that. Now, primarily, that's going to be incorporated through using your hands. And I'm going to give you instructions on how to use your hands and your arms and all of that in the process of praying. And the idea is that it's going to give us just a focused mentality about what's happening. And so I'm going to ask you to do some things. I'm not taking notes up here, I'm not marking it down on a sheet of paper. I am doing it mentally. And we'll take that before the Lord this afternoon. No. But I just want you to be, I really think this is something that, if you will participate, could be uh, meaningful to you. I, I, many people stop me in the hallway. People always kind of stop and say, good sermon, Pastor, thanks, Pastor, all that. Um, but two or three people stop me specifically to talk about what the Lord kind of shared with them in the midst of this. And so it's not going to, I mean, we're not going to be here for an hour and a half so just for the next 15 or 20 minutes, I want us to focus on the Lord and on praying to him and on giving serious consideration to the thought of asking him to bring renewal and revival to us. The first thing that Jesus says when he tells them that this is how you should pray, he says, when you pray, you say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Every major prayer in scripture starts with praise and adoration. Starts with an understanding of who God is and what he's done for us. And today we're going to start our prayer time in that way. I'm going to put up some scripture in the midst of the time of your praying. You don't have to close your eyes to pray. You can pray with your eyes open. You're more than welcome to close your your eyes. It might help you to, to cause distractions to be away. In just a moment, I'm going to tell you to start praying and then there's going to be a scripture on the screen that'll be from a psalm that just describes the glory and the power of God. And I just invite you today to praise God for who he is, for the attributes he has and for what he's done in your life. Now, to do that. I also want you to uh, accompany that with your arms. I want you to take your hands and I want you to lift them to the sky. And as you lift them to the sky and as you pray to him, give praise and honor, almost as if you're pressing towards him with your praise and with your honor. Take some time to praise him. So if you don't have anything else to say, you can say these words. Lord, even as those that are gathered around your throne declare your glory, Lord, we declare your glory in this place. You are holy. You are awesome, you are mighty, you are more than we can ask or imagine. Everything that is good and right comes from you. Lord, we give you praise and honor for the glory of your name, for the majesty of who you are, for the strength and power and holiness and love that you display. Lord, we thank you for what you have done, for your Son who died for our sins. For the grace that you have provided for those of us that do not deserve it in any way. We give honor and glory to your name. Because you are holy. Because you are the one who was, who is, and who is to come. Because there has never been a time when you were not. And there will never be a time when you are not. Because you have been from the beginning to the end. That there is none that is like you. Lord, we declare in this place that none compare to you. That no one comes close even begins to scratch the surface of your glory and your majesty and your might. And we give you praise and honor and glory in this place because you alone are worthy. Amen. The second thing that he tells us is not only after he tells us that we will extol the God and to bless his name forever. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's important about that is most of us in our prayer time will spend a couple of minutes. God, you're great. We thank you. We love you. Thank you, God, for that. Now, here's my needs. We lay them out before the Lord before we ever declare that God's kingdom is more important than my needs. That God's kingdom takes priority over my desires. That God's kingdom is the priority of my life. And he says, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth that is in heaven. In just a moment, we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to pray that God would extend his kingdom. And what that means is that God would move. That God would change hearts. That God would change lives. I'm going to ask you to pray for a general sense that God would move among the nations. But then I'm also going to ask you to pray specifically for someone or something that is outdoing the work of God. You may choose a local ministry or mission that we're doing here at First Baptist. Maybe a ministry or mission like a Room at the Inn that we do here on Sunday nights or um, maybe the mission that we do with the Help Center or at Mason's Motel or a local ministry that you're a part of and that you know of and that you want to pray for that. Or maybe it's a state level thing, a national level thing, Lynch, Kentucky that we're involved in, uh, Los Angeles, California, the two planners that we're involved with out there in a Nathan Holbert or in Zach Drake. Or even Robbie Pitt, who's over the whole thing. If you're like, I don't remember those names, just say those dudes in Los Angeles, all right? Pray for them. Maybe it's an international work, Chile or Haiti or Brazil that you've been involved in or that you care about. But I'm going to ask you to pray for God's kingdom to be extended and for the priority of your life to be His kingdom come, His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven we're not going to extend our hands up to heaven this time, but I'm going to have you extend your hands out. Palms facing out. As if you're pressing towards where God is calling. As if you're saying, God, move your kingdom. Push your kingdom. Push it into the world. And I want to give you just a moment to pray. You pray that God's kingdom would come and that His will would be done. Lord, we come and admit that oftentimes we care more about ourselves and our needs and our families than we do about your kingdom and your will and your family. So, Lord, we pray that as we are in this place and that the commitment of our lives would be to press forward and that you would extend your kingdom through us and through those that are working to extend your kingdom. Lord, we pray. That that your name, that your renown will be the desire of our souls and the priority of our lives would be the spread of the gospel among the nations and among those people, even in our communities who do not know. I pray specifically right now, Lord, for the two guys out in Los Angeles that even now are preparing for worship with their people. I pray for Nathan and Zach, both of whom have asked us to pray for discipleship and for people to come to faith in Christ and to be grown into fully devoted followers. And Lord, I pray that you would use those two guys to make an impact in the area of El Segundo and in Santa Monica and to the greater Los Angeles area. And Lord, I pray that your kingdom would move in that area. Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know when our desires and our finances and our schedules are impeding the kingdom of God because your kingdom is not the priority of our lives. And Lord, that you would allow us to experience what it is that you move and that you are in the process of saving the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. After we pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. The next thing that um, it says in that scripture is that you are to give us this day our daily bread. And the truth is, most of us read that and we think, good, we're talking about food. Give us what we need. But most of us in this room don't have a need for a next meal. So what is he talking about here? Well, here's what he's talking about here. That we have daily needs from the Lord. In fact, the daily bread is a reference to the manna in the desert that allowed them to live in the midst of a time when they didn't have any other way. As we move into this time of praying for God to receive, I'm going to read uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19 to you. I just want you to hear these words, and then I'm going to talk about four things that I'm going to ask you to pray for your own life to receive from the Lord, your daily bread. For Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 through 19 say, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In that passage, Paul gives us four things that we ought to pray for God to give us daily. First of all, that we would be strengthened by his power to accomplish what he's called us to accomplish. That we would be rooted and grounded in love. That our lives would be characterized by love. That we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That sounds like you can't even do that. And the point that Paul is making is, I just want a glimpse of that which I cannot understand. And that we would be filled with the fullness of God. And we're not going to extend our hands upwards towards heaven. We're not going to extend our hands outwards towards the world. But I do want you to form almost a cup or a bowl with your hand as if you're ready to receive. And here's what I also want to ask you to do because Paul says this. And if you're able to do this, um, I'd love for you to do this. He says in there, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. One of the most um, used expressions of prayer, postures of prayer in in Scripture is a bowed knee. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray that God would give you your daily bread. And that's these four things. If there are specific areas you need to be strengthened by God, I ask you to pray for Him to strengthen you in those areas. If there's a particular person or situation you need the love of Christ to to fill with so that you can respond in love, I'm going to ask you to pray to receive that. If you need to know the love of Christ, maybe there's a situation in your life where you feel unloved, that you would know that. And if you would be filled with the fullness of God, just say, God, I want you to move through me completely, full control. So I'm going to ask you if you're able to get on your knees and to ask the Lord for those four things, believing that you can receive. Lord, we come and admit that many times we don't think we really need you as badly as we really do. Lord, and I think I'm self-sufficient and I can make things work, but Lord, without you I can do nothing. Nothing. And so Lord, I pray that today you would give me the strength to endure temptation, the strength to endure through difficulty, the strength to boldly proclaim Your name. Lord, I pray that You would allow me in my interactions with fellow believers, with the world, with my family, with friends, that You would allow me to respond out of love rooted and grounded in the love that You have for me and the love You have for them. Lord, that I would understand that I am accepted by you no matter what the world says. That I do not find my value in the praise of men, but I find it in the breadth and the height and the width and the depth of your love. Lord, I pray that you would fill me and fill this congregation with the fullness of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stay just as you are, and I want you to make two fists. Because the next thing he says is that we are to forgive, ask God for forgiveness of our sins, and to forgive those who trespass against us. And here's what I want you to do I want you to imagine in your hands, first of all, in your right hand, I want you to imagine those things in your life, your sins. Your priorities that are keeping you from a passionate relationship, from a dedicated relationship, from being all that God intends for you to be. Now, I want you to imagine that you are grasping tightly to those in that right fist. In your left fist, you see it's tied in Scripture. Our forgiveness is tied to the forgiveness that we give others. In your left hand, I want you to imagine that person or the people or that situation that you've had a hard time forgiving yourself yourself or others for, specifically other people that you've had a hard time forgiving. Here's what I want you to do. As you imagine those two scenarios, those people that you've had a hard time forgiving, and that in your own life that you need forgiveness for, I want you to pray that God would first of all give you the strength and the power to forgive, and that then He would forgive you of those sins. And as you pray that, I'm going to ask you to simply open your hands. And release them to the Lord and allow Him to take them. Spend some time asking for God's forgiveness and asking for the strength to forgive others. Dear Lord, we come knowing that we are sinful people. We know that we come with hearts that are often turned against you. That our lives display actions that are not pleasing to you. And Lord, we also come in the knowledge that you have already paid the price for our sin on the cross and that you love us desperately. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to identify those things in our lives that are preventing us from walking with you more passionately devoted. Lord, we pray that you will allow us to, to know, to search us, O oh God, and to know our hearts and to test our thoughts and to show us those things in our lives that are offensive. And Lord, that we would release those to you, and we pray for your forgiveness. Lord, I pray for reconciliation of people in this room that have resentment and hatred and jealousy towards others or towards a situation, that you would reconcile that and allow us to forgive those those that sin against you and hurt us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Following that, he says, To lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, repentance in the Old Testament and New Testament is not only admitting the mistake we've made, but then asking God to turn our direction. It's confession with action. And so for our final kind of moment of, of prayer this morning, I want you to simply Extend your arms outward in a moment of surrender. Because when you say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, what you're saying is, Lord, I want you to guide me completely. And so I want you to pray. Perhaps there's a situation that you know. Maybe there's a relationship that you have. Maybe there's a moment that's coming up that you know is a moment of temptation where the enemy is going to attack. Or perhaps you don't and you just want to pray that God would show you when those moments come. But take a moment to pray in complete surrender that God would move. When we come and surrender our lives and our church to you, use us as you see fit for your glory, for the sake of your name. Use our lives, lead us not into temptation. Help us to understand when the enemy is attacking and give us the strength to endure. Deliver us from the enemy. From the one who set against you to allow our lives to be raging fires for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The last thing the prayer says is for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And here's the thing it ends exactly where it started. It started with hallow be your name and then at the end it reminds us that even if you don't hallow the name of Jesus, if you don't hallow the name of God the Father, you don't hallow the name of the Spirit, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because it already is. Does that make sense? We just get to join and be a part of it. For His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever regardless. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Jesus says, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is in the heaven, all of that. But he says in the end, just reminded, he's king, he's Lord. There is none like Him. There never will be. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Almighty One, the angel of heaven's army, the glory of the One who is coming, who has been and always will be. There is no problem that you will ever encounter that is stronger than the God who has already declared He loved you. There is no situation that is ever bigger than the God who has already declared He's walking with you. And so when we come in prayer, we come asking the assistance, declaring our allegiance, giving honor and glory to the one who has won, is winning, and will always win. we are declaring our allegiance to the ultimate victor, to him be the glory and the power and the kingdom forever. It's a victory declaration and it doesn't matter who wins the primaries on March 15th God's in control and it doesn't matter who the ninth person on the supreme court is in a year God's in control and it doesn't matter how big of a jerk your boss is unless you're the boss and then that's a problem God's in control because his is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, not for a short time, but forever. It is the only everlasting dynasty. Nations shall crumble and kings shall fail, but our God reigns for all time. And today, as we have declared in this place our surrender to Him, we have simply announced His glory. We're going to have a time of response. And I don't, after a day like today, what do you do, do, right? Maybe it is you just need to come and say, Lord, I I need to be doing this. Not because it's something to check off my list, not because I feel guilty about it, but man, I just need to be doing this. Some of you may need to come and say, listen, I'm one of those people, when I went to pray, I didn't have anybody to pray to. I don't have a relationship with the Lord. Today, I, I want to do that. I want to be in a relationship with the Lord. I want to give my allegiance to him, I want to talk about that. Maybe it's that this is the church that you want to be a part of. Like, I came as a guest. This is the weirdest service I've been to, but I want to do this. I mean, I know, I know this was uncomfortable with some of you. Um, literally, some of your arms are shaking. It's uh, hard, right? Some of you have been like, man, we've been waiting you to do stuff like this for a long time. And if you grew up in a Baptist church, you're like, this is strange. But if we want to see the Lord move in our midst, prayer has got to be a part of what we're doing. It's not a part. It's got to be the foundation. Of what we're doing. So I'm going to ask the band to come. And they're going to come and play. Um and I'm just going to ask you to respond. Maybe I to come and just pray at the front. Maybe maybe I cut you off in the middle of a really good prayer. And you want to continue that here. I'm just going to ask you to do whatever the Lord leads. Let's pray together.